Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About the Weather, political discussion from the outside may look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we are here to talk this week's news and politics. Sorry. Election, election, no. election. It's time. No. It is time. No. Um, I'm already like annoyed at the Labour Party for messaging me all the time. They're happy all the time. <laughs> they keep on asking me to fill in forms about myself and it's like... Look, Labour Party, we went through this before during the Blair years when you were trying to get identity cards through. And what that ended up, hap- <laughs> ended up happening with that is me deleting all references to myself on the internet and not having a bank account for a couple of years. <laughs> so stop it. <laughs> Listen, uh, there are things my wife doesn't know about me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Think I'm going to tell you. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you, Labour Party. Um, yeah, I don't want an election. You don't want an election? Well, I do, we need one. But I don't want to have to deal with one. <laughs> um, like The intensity, like... Uh, I think even compared to earlier on in the year or even fucking 2017 when Mm. the the pace of events and maybe your access to it was able to keep up and like you thought it was a breakneck pace then. And it's like I wrote a load of notes about the potential for an election like this morning Mm. and it's not all out of date, but quite a lot of it needs to be modified. Yeah, it does change a lot. They, they, just, the morning to afternoon and then afternoon to evening pace yeah. of trying to keep up and trying to keep everything accurate and trying mm. to pick up on things like is just impossible. Mm. I can't stand listening to Boris. Um, his when he's done when he's getting into full because like, they're all they're all just giving party political broadcasts. Of course, yeah. Question time. Well, it wasn't question time today, was it? It was just shouting at each other. Yeah. Is it question time today? No, it's not Tuesday. Is it? No, what no, is no. It? It's Wednesday. Okay, but anyway, they were just shouting. Today is Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, they were just shouting at each other. They were doing their little broadcasts, and it was just like, and Boris is like, "Oh, you know, you're just like you go, you're just like um, Fidel Castro." Uh, and he does it, and it's like, "Oh, it's like, so I think tired. he's Caracas," and it's yeah, like, it's this is like the third time you've said that." Yeah, and it's like there's some words that like when people bring up, they do you know do Venezuela, China, blah blah blah. It's so annoying. But the one that's really <laughs> not get, China, no. never China. <laughs> but the one that's really getting me at the moment <laughs> is when. Whenever they say frit, oh man, that has been that has been like a maybe a month long. I can't a month deal. long thing. I, I just can't. nostalgic like pseudo swearing. I don't want it. I just can't bear it anymore. It's just like because as Margaret Thatcher said, shut the fuck yeah. up. Like, do you know what Margaret Thatcher said? Margaret Thatcher said, "I feel damp because she'd shit herself again, <laughs> and then she died." You know what Margaret Thatcher said? Nothing. She's dead. Yeah. She said, where's my husband? And then she had to be reminded once again that he was dead. And then she cried some more. And she wondered where her kids were. And her kids weren't there because they fucking hated her. They were lost in a Namibian prison. No, it wasn't Namibia. It was, it was Equatorial New Guinea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did he ever go to prison? He did go to prison for a bit, yeah, I think. For procuring a helicopter. This is Mark Thatcher. Her yeah. son was um, arrested as part of a coup plot in Equatorial yeah. New Guinea that apparently he was requisitioning a helicopter for some yeah, yeah. like international mercenaries to yeah, yeah. use. Very 80s. Very it action was... movie. Very nostalgic. Um, I, re- <laughs> I remember when that happened and we were coming back from a festival. Oh yeah. Um, we were just talking about like how you would do it. And yeah, it was like, and it was like I knowing see... nothing about Equatorial New Guinea, no. nothing about its demographics, its no, culture, no. its economy, nothing. No, no, just blindly imperialistically <laughs> deciding that we knew exactly how we would well, have done no, it. The, the assumption was that we'd be able to do it better than a Thatcher. <laughs> um, I, I, all I mainly remember is it involved robes. That we have robes, um, but you know that's generally any of. Our plans, especially back then. There is a robe and cape hole in our hearts that yeah. is 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 
formed by the fact that we can't wear trench coats anymore. Yeah. And it's very difficult to deal with. Uh, hoodies don't cut it. No, we're not um, musically gifted enough to be a, like to start a drone band to justify dressing up in like robes all the time. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sad. It's you sad. know, monasteries aren't what they used to be. No, they're not. <laughs> but yeah. This is how it's gone down. Okay. So, mm-hmm. Boris, mm. he's lost a couple of votes, maybe three or four votes now to call the election. He wanted one on December 12th, I believe. This this uh, this information, by the way, could be completely inaccurate. Yeah, but it's a good setup like for a, actually like discussing... an argument between December 9th and December 12th. Yeah, which seems such a small difference to be almost... Like, it seems like the Lib Dems proposed uh, December 9th just to, like, feel important. It's mm-hmm. like, we're involved! Yeah. Um, the... He's lost a couple of votes now under the Fixed Term Parliament Act, which uh, was brought in in 2011 in, with this idea to democratise the ability to call an election. Previously, a government just called an election well, whenever they wanted. It was to wanted. make sure that the, the, the coalition wouldn't fall apart, wasn't it? It was um, to make it safer. I think there, yeah. Because otherwise, I, I, it, would, it would have been too easy to call an election. Yeah, I think that and it, was... And like the Fixed Term Parliament it was presented, Act is one it? of those things. It's a proper, perfect example of everything that's wrong with British democracy and mainly and actually democracy in general, of that kind of short-termism. Yeah. And, like, it was a thing that was, like, a really good idea at the time, but has caused nothing but shit since then. <laughs> um, it was so obvious. It's just one it of those before. things of, like, oh, yeah, modern democracies, they have, you know, recall mechanisms mm. and, and things like that. And it's like, yeah, but you're forgetting our democracy was largely designed in the 1600s yeah. to like, cope with large-scale landowners coming into town. It's like, it's like, oh, if you don't like your MP, maybe you could have a recall election. And it's like, at the moment, our Prime Minister can't even call an election because it's <laughs> such a clusterfuck. <laughs> so yeah, he's failed a lot. Yeah, there was um, some talk of him working with the Lib Dems to maybe yep. table this uh, this new act to pass an election with a majority rather than a two-thirds thing. Labour has come in for some criticism that... They don't particularly want an election until it's fully off the table. I'm not they sure said, about the dynamics of that. The table but they have announced that because Brexit, no deal Brexit, is kind of the threat of that is receding. There are no more traps that mm. Boris can can lay in order to try and do this thing. Um, that they will now support this new bill that mm-hmm. will just require a majority to call an election rather than a two thirds majority, mm-hmm. two thirds supermajority. Um, the interesting thing now is that this new bill will have a ton of amendments <laughs> because it's a bill. You can mm-hmm. table amendments. Labour, I think, are already tabling um, 16, 17-year-olds being able to vote, EU citizens, mm-hmm. and... There was another thing. No, there was another thing. There was one there was, more thing. There was maybe talk of it being an, a holiday as well, but... Oh, yeah, public holiday. But, yeah, there, that, but that, that hasn't been yeah. put on as a holiday. Yeah, sure, sure. But um, they, like, it's weird to vote for 16-year-olds, yes... Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there was someone on the radio saying like, "But what do sixteen-year-olds know about politics? What have they been taught?" And it's like, "What do thirty-six-year-olds know about?" Well, what politics? does an eighteen-year-old? Yeah, like compared to a sixteen-year-old, like unless you a, did an A-level in politics. What does a forty-eight? Even then, I don't trust people who did A-levels in politics. They're really weird. Well, people. Hugh, I've got a solution for you. It's called IQ tests before <laughs> you can vote. No, that's walked that's, right into that one. That's too invasive. You just have to like walk through, like um, just a big head scanner to just look at your head shape. Um, the slope ooh, of your shoulders. Oh, it's a little racist, Hugh. Let's have a more meritocratic system mm-hmm. to allow you to be franchised. Uh, let's just say that the measure of success in our society is the amount of money. Ah, good, good. And maybe if you own land, because if you own land, you have a stake in the system, so you won't be irresponsible. Got a better idea. And I've what also, 
I get the vote <laughs> if I own a company. And on my amount of okay. votes is dependent on how many people I Ooh, employ. Oh, interesting. Now, I know this sounds daring and confusing, and maybe, like, has anyone done this before? And they have, because they do that <laughs> in the city of London, and we should do that. Can I sell you... I want to be the sheriff. Can I sell you on loading the army into boats and go to war with France <laughs> over the succession of the Bourbon King? <laughs> it's... Yeah, so, yeah, for 16-year-olds, yes. Yes, of Yeah, course. of course. There was some of course, talk they of, have like... like they, have, they, have, they have a stake in the future. Um, there's... <coughs> I, I know 16-year-olds that should not be able to vote. I also know 50-year-olds. I know 50, definitely know a number of 50-year-olds who exactly. should not be allowed to vote. Yeah, um, <laughs> but that isn't how voting is supposed to work. It's no. Supposed to, everyone's supposed to have a go. Yeah. And the EU citizen thing, I think, is a great idea. I yeah. think anyone who's here should be allowed to vote. Yeah. Um, the fact that there's people who say, like... Like, I saw Jimmy Bollocks today was saying, like, None of the other European countries do it. It's like, well, they're they're wrong to not do it. Yeah. Well, he was he was um, talking about the fact that like, oh, you know, if this is going to be done, it should be done properly mm-hmm. with a fully fleshed out campaign. Oh. Maybe a, I know he didn't say this, but the implication was yeah. maybe, maybe a, a referendum. Yeah. And it's like, what is wrong with you? You have this <laughs> disease in you that makes you completely oblivious to all comparison. Yeah. And yeah, it, uh, oh, there was some talk about the Lib Dems and SNP lobbying against these amendments. They for said 16, they, 17 year olds. Yesterday, they said that they um, that they were lines in the sand that they that they needed. That's, they had to have them. That's then, crazy. Then about like six hours ago, they said they didn't like um, the Lib Dems. Said that's they didn't ludicrous. like it. And then like two hours ago, they said they were in favour of it again. Yeah, because <laughs> shouldn't that be a no brainer? Joe Swinson's horrible. for your like for your remain project. It absolutely astounds me the it's not even a lack of strategy they just have the exact opposite strategy to get the thing they want all mm. the time like oh we want to remain mm, we don't want a referendum though mm. Mm, we'd like all of these largely pro-european young people to uh, maybe vote in a general election or no too far because it's not them and it's like such an it's they've it's given people like an outsized opinion of their own influence mm-hmm. while not actually matching up their strategy to the oh, objective they want to achieve 100% Joe Swinson is her biggest mark yeah she is upset she's properly convinced of herself <laughs> it's pretty great yeah but yeah so they, um, but I did see um Dominic Cummings already said that um if they if they get this amendment they're, which I think they're voting on tonight I believe so yeah yeah but if they get it they're just going to pull it and so there won't be an election huh because That's... because also, like, this thing, I am in favour of 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds voting. I'm in favour of EU citizens being able to vote. Actually, I'm, I'm in favour of expanding that significantly. Yeah. I'm sure that you can... There's, you know, there's ways of getting more people who... Sh- who people who live here should be able to vote. Yeah. Um, but, of course, the Tories aren't going to want that. No. Because who, what are you, who are EU citizens going to vote for? I don't think they're going to necessarily vote for Labour. Um and I don't think all young people are going to necessarily vote for Labour. I think more of the young people will vote for Labour, mm. and that's and they don't. I know they're definitely not going to vote Tory. An expanded franchise allows for. Let's talk like a liberal for a second. Mm-hmm. An expanded franchise allows a diversity of uh, interests and needs to be represented within an election, rather than how many pensioners you can get. Exactly. It like look at where this is. Look at where a focus mm-hmm. on. The city of London, mm. corporations and pensioners mm. has gotten us to. They have certain interests. Mm-hmm. Expanding the franchise can only benefit mm-hmm. 
parties who are more interested in, in having a balance of forces mm-hmm. within this country. Which is why I'm in favour of allowing dogs to vote as well, so I can get rid of fireworks. <laughs> what? Yes, I want them gone. <laughs> That's the literally all I care about. This oh, it's yeah. So it's Diwali season, and it's Diwali, uh, Halloween, fireworks night, and Halloween all this week. So yeah, I imagine Fitz, Comrade Fitz, mm-hmm. is uh, having a good old time. Oh yeah, didn't sleep um, all night on Sunday. Ah, uh, just sat up with my poor dog, freaking out <laughs> because people are setting off fireworks in the fucking road. And get fucked all of them. So Send naturally, to war. <laughs> I'm in favour of conscription now. For anyone who buys a firework, you go into a shop, you buy fireworks. The handcuff goes on. You're taken to war. I don't really know which war. I don't know where. You're just sent to an island. Well, it's, the, it's the war that uh, we want with the return of property-based voting, <laughs> which is a war against sub-European power over like a, a royal succession. Okay, yeah. <laughs> naturally, in this election, mm-hmm. we would like to see a Labour victory. We're very partisan mm. that way. Um. Yeah. <laughs> no, just double checking. Yeah. Um, but Parliament is a fucking disease, mm-hmm. and there are loads of Labour parliamentary people who don't seem to want an election as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, John McDonnell was apparently kind of not keen on the idea of a December election. A load of people have signed a, a letter today saying that uh, signed an amendment mm-hmm. saying. They want the the election in March, I think it was yeah, March or, or March year. or April next year. Um, so it seems to be that it seems to be officially because they want absolutely no deal off the table, completely yeah. never going to happen, which is a pipe dream. It's never mm. going to be entirely off mm-hmm. the table, um, but also. I mean, come on, it's the PLP. They mm-hmm. want to time out the clock to damage Corbyn personally mm-hmm. and the left generally well, as they... much as possible before an election where they can he can lose and he can resign and yeah. whatever. Well, it's thing We're not like, fucking idiots. They don't, like, come on. Like, they, don't, they, don't, they don't not want an election because they're afraid of losing. They don't want yeah. an election because they're afraid of winning. Because the at the moment the most right wing part of the Labour Party is the PLP by mm. a long large margin, mm-hmm. and if there's a Corbyn victory, oh, you're forgetting sort of, local councillors though. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. But um, that cements it. That, that cements the left, and even though they think that will cement the left, and then their time is definitely you know yeah is measured is is like is ticking down, and then eventually they'll be gotten rid of. Yeah. Now the thing is there is their time is over. Unless the Labour Party loses a couple of hundred thousand people. Mm. Well, in which case the Labour Party ceases to exist as a going electoral concern. Well, no, it needs to go back. They want it to go back to before Ed Miliband put in that thing, allowing all those new people to join. It, it, it doesn't... It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because no. it will not yeah. go back to but they, the way yeah, it was. They think yeah. that that's going to happen. And it's not going to happen. Um, but they think that, that running out the clock will allow it to happen. And it's not. There was a, there was a bit... I think we've, we uh, cut it for time of uh, for reasons of time mm-hmm. um, a few weeks ago. But I did want to talk about the McDonnell interview with Alistair Campbell because whether it was a good thing or not, mm-hmm. I went back and forth on it. Um, and, like, at the time, I kind of thought it was this, like, a calming, correct... Maybe a, a calming but firm correction to those on the Labour right who thought that mm. they still had, they still were going concern, that they were anywhere near close to taking mm. back the party. Um, and s- I still think he's he's sound. I still think that probably was a, an all right thing. But it seems like that was a bad, like some of the sounds he's been making have been bad tactical decisions based mm. on the fact that he's 
fully behind this referendum, mm -hmm. like the second referendum idea. And it seems like a bad, bad strategy to interrupt what is essentially a rearguard action by the Labour right by offering them palliatives, by saying... Yeah. Oh, if Corbyn loses the next election, I think he'll stand down. Now, before, I was kind of like, well, yeah, I can imagine he'll stand down, but it will still reinforce the power of the left and the party yeah. if they get another left-wing candidate in. Yeah. Um, and, like, ensuring that they have... a Like, ensuring them that they still have a place in kind of a broadly FUB-P yeah. Labour Party, a broad church thing. Mm. And it's like, it just seems like the wrong signalling with the <laughs> with the benefit of hindsight. It seems like the, the, the kind of wrong kind of signalling. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we have arguments on... I, I prepared my mm. notes for this with the idea that the election hadn't been confirmed. Mm -hmm. still hasn't been confirmed, but it's closer to being confirmed now. Mm. But I still think there are like pros and cons of having an election mm. in December, right? Yep. So broadly, the cons. Um, every date they come up with is, is laid with Brexit traps. Um, this probably has... Because, I mean, if it's in, if it's in spring next year... It will be past the 31st of January yeah, so deadline, so the whole thing opens up again. Um, I think largely you can't stop that. I think mm. that every single weird underhand thing that Johnson does is going to be lauded as like this smart strategic genius move. Every time Corbyn tries to attach some, uh, like some amendment to a bill stopping it, it will be like inept bungling. There's mm -hmm. nothing you can do about, the, about that. Um, I think the other cons is because Brexit has been frustrated, I've seen this argument made a few times, is that he gets to make this an election all about Brexit, which suits his particular strategy, which is people versus parliament, that kind of narrative. Remain finally has a Corbyn-led party on its side, but they've moved the goalposts any time, so many times that it's kind of unclear how much Remain support Labour can rally. And this all-or-nothing... Uh, election based on Brexit allows the Tory press to dodge the usual scrutiny they get over equal representation during elections by covering Brexit issues because they, they don't have the last election. Though. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. I don't think any of these cons are particularly novel or mm. like are things that you can't get over. Oh no, I don't think Dominic yeah. Cummings is a smart man who's come up with something new. I think yeah. he's literally going to try and do the same thing again. <laughs> um, there was a really interesting argument from Tom Gann just on a kind of. I don't know what you would call it, like a, a a local level that as the nights draw in, it becomes more difficult for differently abled people to oh, yeah. Yeah, at night, to yeah. campaign, um, especially like, I mean, London would probably be fine, obviously, because it's got like all the fucking transport money in the country. Um, but yeah, further out then. with difficult difficult transport links, it makes more difficult for people in communities with bad transport mm. links to, just, to door knock and freezing. things like that. And it's, and it's cold, obviously, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and also people vote less. People vote when it's dark and cold and wet. Yeah, there is that depression thing, but that actually, interestingly, I think that comes down to that. But but also, there's a general. It depends on whether people feel like this winter is Christmas or whether they feel like this winter is winter, because that actually can actively harm a mm. sitting party. Mm -hmm. It's a psychological, like psycho psychosocial thing, mm -hmm. you know. Um, the pros of having an election in December, the Lib Dems don't want it. Mm -hmm. That is the <laughs> strongest pro I can possibly mm -hmm. imagine. That if they don't want it, I want it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like I say, like psychologically, a winter election has to be a difficult one for the government as well. Mm -hmm. um, they have to hope that the economy doesn't go funny in between now and then, which yeah. 
certain signs are indicating that a recession is due. Mm-hmm. Um, depressive effect of, of winter, as, as we mentioned. Um, also, like, as a counterpoint to, like, leaning, making this the Brexit election, leaning on Brexit that has completely dominated all coverage mm-hmm. for, like, the last three years is still really risky mm-hmm. for Johnson. Him trying to articulate people want to get Brexit done mm. in a time when actually people want to get Brexit done because they want it to be over mm-hmm. and him not being able to deliver that or get anywhere close to that is is still really risky. He's He wants to push a popular strategy. He's not a very good populist. No, no, He's bungling. It. He can't articulate mm-hmm. um, in a way that populist... Oh, I hate using that word, but I don't have a better one for it. Uh, he can't articulate that democratic mandate in a way that makes sense to a lot of people, I mm-hmm. don't think. I think more exposure of Boris will actually kind of reveal him to be more elite yeah. in that in that particular way. He thinks he's like got rid of the Hammond types, the kind of like yeah. elite Tories beholden to finance and all that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Actually he's just had Sajid Javid um like cancel his his uh emergency budget because mm-hmm there's been a whole load of borrowing figures and the potential is that they couldn't borrow and and tax and spend mm-hmm. like as much as they yeah. as much as they want to portray that they're doing. Yeah. So he's in that bind where he can talk all a good game about resolving Brexit and things like that but he's had a load of times to do it. I still think he's got enough political capital. He hasn't burned through it mm. yet. But him then trying to turn that into me with the people versus an obstinate parliament it's a difficult sell, I think, with it's him um, at the helm. I think with Christmas, with being like December, so like because March, it's a bit better. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I say, better. Like people start to like, up. Well, they had financially, the... yeah, yeah, you're a bit, you're in a better situation in yeah. March than you are in December or January, mm-hmm. and especially December, like December, January, that is always like when we are our poorest and worrying about money the, the most, yeah. and. It's hard. It's hard for me to say because you know I am a communist and have been for a very long time. Yeah. What would make me vote left? Like hard to say what would make me vote left wing. Yeah. Um, because I don't know what it would take to make me vote right wing. Hmm. But I can't. I think more people are going to lean towards a more Corbyn-y yeah manifesto than a Tory manifesto. Yeah. In those months. Yeah. In the spring months. No, in the Christmas months. In the Christmas because we're months. Poorer, we, sure. We yeah. want. We want to be cozy and warm and not worry about money. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it's my main thing. I don't think we can wait. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I can't stand this government. Yeah. It's horrible. Um, people are literally dying. Yeah. Daily. Obviously, that's the overriding yeah. concern. Ultimately, that you should, and it kind of pairs with the whole idea that yeah, an opposition party should always be up for an yeah. election. It, yeah. it should always be ready to to take over. And there's a fucking good manifesto now. Yeah, the, like the, there's some the, good, yeah. really. Uh, radical <clears throat> stuff in there yeah. that could really turn some things around mm-hmm. and you're either ready to try it or you're not there is no right time to try it yeah, it's, the it's, same it's, the forces that they that they will oppose them like they're not going away it's really it's really disgusting they're like say us mm. say we lived in Baku yeah and we had to fucking campaign for Margaret Hodge again yeah yeah like that's, that's like it's just like oh but um it's it we have there, there has to be an election yeah. Um, the Tories need to be pushed away, and because well, first off, the election an election needs to happen because otherwise, there'll be general bumbling for until there is a No Deal or Boris's deal. Yeah. 
Um, or he just quits and leaves, or you know. Yeah, um, there needs to be a Labour majority to get yeah. either to either stop Brexit if that's what you want, or have a softer Brexit, which is more kind of what the referendum wanted. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think like also psychologically, when we have so few times when people generally are able to access political power yeah. feel feel close to it i think the act of like voting certainly like mm-hmm. a little bit i don't want to overstress it because parliamentarianism is a disease mm-hmm. um the act of voting does i think make people a little more focused and a little more able to imagine alternatives mm-hmm. to things you know like it's it's if a non-shit alternative is going to present itself, it's going to be at that time. That's the time when people are going to be looking at that thing and feeling like it can be enacted. Um, yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe everyone's like like grim, mm-hmm. uh, hard bollocked realists. <laughs> but if you're going to have that have that time, then it's it's going to be at election time because mm-hmm. that's when politics happens. Apparently, mm-hmm. um, um, yeah. Like I say, like. Opposition, it's never going to be, there's never going to be a good time to put this manifesto out. There's never going to be a, I should say, there's never going to be a better time mm. because it's needed right now. Yeah. Um, you know, need to dismantle privatization, need mm. to end austerity, need to have the Green Deal. <clears throat> um, with the media environment, the constant drawn out war of attrition, the kind of weird, constant sidetracking of Brexit. Mm-hmm. Um, put a fucking socialist manifesto in front of people if they, if they, Vote in a weird faltering con artist like Boris Johnson. <laughs> Whatever, we just you have to, you have, we have to yeah, pick have to ourselves yeah. back up yeah. and keep doing it and deal with whatever it is. This like constant stalemate is no good for people's um, no. people's mental health. And you know, like, what have we got to lose? Yeah. A few coastal cities, <laughs> one hundred and twenty thousand more people. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, you know, fuck yeah. it. We need to. Yeah, we can't just let them yeah. carry on. So, for the second part today, we need to talk about Remain. No. Yep. No. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> um, I've been wanting to talk about them for a couple of weeks because it definitely seems as if the wheels are coming off somewhat. They're they're less coherent. The the the, the hopes of revoke are more distant than well, No Deal it Brexit. It seemed like the wheels were coming off and then rival parties were turning up with security guards <laughs> to head office this morning. Um, it actually first started occurring to me um, the the time of the last big Remain march, mm-hmm. which was 19th of October, so mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Um, I definitely got a vague anecdotal sense mm-hmm. from friends on social media and, you know, FUBPs generally, mm-hmm. that the atmosphere was more depressive. Mm-hmm. It was... Colder. It felt like there was the hope of actually getting what they wanted, which was staying in the EU, mm-hmm. was just had completely gone, and they weren't really sure why they were there. Mm-hmm. A sort of what now attitude. Um, I think probably fostered by the fact that the process is now entirely focused on Parliament, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that over the last couple of days, the People's Vote campaign, which is the closest thing I think you'll have to organised organised remain mm-hmm. um is slowly coming apart or quickly coming apart um so i think it's in the last 48 hours so the, the people's vote chair roland rudd uh dismissed that's the, such a good name for a banker 
interesting anecdote. He was friends with Robert Peston. Uh, oh, really? He was really good friends with Robert Peston. And apparently when they worked on, I think it was when they worked on newspapers together, they were known as the Pest and the Rat. Uh, Roland Rudd being named the Rat because of Roland Rat, the yeah, yeah. 80s TV character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he dismissed the campaign director, James McGrory, and the head of communications, Tom Baldwin, a very public spat which involved people refusing to enter the People's Vote headquarters mm. uh, until certain people had left. Had left um, summit meetings in local coffee shops to negotiate exits. <laughs> Apparently there's like 60 people who work for the People's Vote campaign. Yeah. Employed, full-time, yeah. like, paid employees. And, that's, and there must be even more that, um, yeah. that are, like, just associated. Mm. Um, at the same time, today, there was a uh, an internal People's Vote report that was leaked to BuzzFeed mm-hmm. uh, detailing the failures of the People's Vote campaign. To quote, People's Vote has been beset, beset with warring personalities and uncooperative behaviour. This has created a climate where a culture of patronage undermines individual empowerment and (laughs) encourages cronyism. Remain lags firmly behind leave in the online messaging proxy war. There are too few messages and too few too few messengers and too few messages too focused on high-level air war and existing supporters. (laughs) He's telling me that Peter Mandelson is disliked. (laughs) Apparently so. No, no. Next, should be telling me that Alistair Campbell isn't well thought of. There is this odd sort of um, approach that has been around Remain since since the referendum. I mean, we talked about it with Led by Donkeys last week, um, about how since the referendum, Remain have kind of approached their job as essentially an, like an emotional one, mm-hmm. taking a very kind of staid, technocratic campaign, talking about jobs and the economy mm-hmm. and all that, and injecting passion into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's almost a cliche now to say that whatever Remain tries... Um, it will end badly or mm-hmm. seem misjudged or, or reactive compared yeah. to where Leave is. And Leave has been largely absent, I feel like, other than threats to the Tory government. Mm. There's not been a huge amount of like stirring up of campaigns to continue leaving. There's been a few marches, really, yeah. but they haven't had to put in anywhere near the effort to explain their positions yeah. and explain what they don't spend anywhere near as about. much money on branding. Uh, yeah, that mm. kind of thing. They haven't had to pay Madalena Kay to travel across Europe singing terrible songs. Oh god, don't even. Oh, it, I was thinking the other day, like this, this like new passionate approach to to remain reminds me of nothing so much as the post nine eleven, mm-hmm. the reaction to nine eleven, and like the performance of of patriotism. You've mm-hmm. got all the all the similar kind of things, like a grievous wound being inflicted upon the body politic, yeah. um, dressing yourself up in the flag. Yeah, particularly has yeah. been a, a weird thing. Like George Bush even said, like after, like I think it was just after nine eleven. He said, after nine eleven, the attitude was so great. You know, we looked into the mirrors and saw our better selves. And Remainers seem to have just been engaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. A little clarification: when I say Remainers, I can mean the politics at the top of it, but I also can mean the most egregious cultural examples yeah. of continuity remain. Okay. It will switch depending on what's the most slash least offensive. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, Remainers have been engaged in this in this project of displaying their better selves over and above mm-hmm. approaching this almost like a political campaign. It's almost like they're waging much more of a cultural campaign yeah, yeah. than a political one. Um, well, it's because they don't have the numbers. 
Well, I mean... No, I mean, like, they, they, MPs in Parliament. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 that's sure. Well, that's the thing. They kind of do. No, there's never been enough numbers. There's no, there's, they there's kind reason, of there's do. There's a reason why we, they, we haven't had a second referendum, mm. or we haven't had a people's vote. It's because they haven't never had the numbers for a people's fucking vote. They haven't got the numbers, but they've got enough of representation. What I, I oh, think, yeah. what I think, like, fucks them up strategically is that there's no linking... Be- you, there can be a link between, like, pressure groups... Mm-hmm. And political representation, and for some reason, that's just never clicked. I don't mm-hmm. know whether it's because it's spread across across like, um, like uh, centre right Tories, centre left Labour. I, I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. if that's been a sticking block, but there has definitely been a a block between the two two poles that that could have possibly like helped them out. Yeah. Um, yeah, like a lot of the content out of the Remain community let's call them, has been trying to push the debate in this direction of a battle for the soul of the nation rather than affecting levers of power. Um, And part of this has been like demonstrating how how EU you are, how Mm. cosmopolitan you are. Um, Emotionally, they seem to have taken a a, a backseat... Sorry. Um, Like the post-9-11 environment, they've taken a really kind of they've become really anti-cynicism almost like you have to believe yeah. you have to be hopeful you have to project this kind of um this air of being entirely sure in a similar way to patriotism in a similar mm. way to those like shows of patriotism after mm. 9-11 um and like yeah the remain version of like the, the remain version of signing up for the army directly the u.s invades afghanistan is to like drench yourself in eu memorabilia you know yeah Oh, and and what memorabilia. Oh, my God. Like, the cultural objects Mm -hmm. of Remain are aesthetically, objectively disgusting. As Mm -hmm. disgusting as, like... Not morally disgusting. I really am just mean aesthetically. It's (laughs) unpleasing to the eye, unpleasant to behold. Um... Just even when separated from the politics of the thing, are just... They're just ugly, ugly things. Like, mewling, dead-on-arrival kitsch. Mm-hmm. You know, it's either kitsch masquerading as dearly held belief, or dearly held belief that gets pushed into kitsch by yeah. the fervent fervency of their belief. But I, I, I don't know which. I don't think it really matters. But like, you think of like all the pre- patriotic anthems after nine mm-hmm. eleven. There is nothing so similar in our culture now to those like "And I stand up next to you and defend her still today." What's the remain equivalent of that? It's Madeleine Kay. What's the terrible murals of like an eagle soaring above a troop carrier? <laughs> it's Madalena Kay's childish Horrible. drawings of uh, Jeremy Corbyn in a gimp suit. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, um, there was that fucking. Did you see the Angela Smith fuzzy chair thing the other day? I did see the chair. The, it's like, chair. look, it's a chair. And if you brush the fabric one way, it's an EU flag. And if you brush it the other way, it's a Union Jack. Mm-hmm. Great. It's like that's so <laughs> that's so horrible and it's that has to be intentional. Why like presumably metropolitan elite liberal remainers are somewhat arbiters of taste and yet they go in for this bawdy crap. Um I don't think they 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 never have been really not that that not sure. that section of society. They're like they citation needed on that obviously, <laughs> you know. They are they taste followers rather than taste yeah they are very that's the impression I get from people like Madeleine Kay yeah and that whole 
barrel of people. Um, but that fucking pillow thing. <laughs> oh, like those, <laughs> like that amount of sequins. I do think there's something aesthetically unpleasing about the colours, that blue and yellow. But blue I'm, not and sure, yellow thing. I'm not sure if that's an actual thing, like that other people find distasteful, or whether it is because they're ultramarine colours. And so we look at it and think, fascist, eh? Maybe that's where all of my suspicion of the EU comes from. It's because, uh. it's because you automatically associate, and you love Blood Angels, because uh. it's full red. Yeah. I'd, well, actually, no, Blood Angels weren't my favourite. Space vampires. Um, they, they, the space vampires are pretty cool, though. <laughs> but no, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, that, I, know, that, I know exactly that, what you those mean. Those colours yeah. I don't think are pleasing, and like they glare, and it's horrible, and I don't like... And the, yeah, it, I, it felt like, um, with the march, it did feel like, this was one of the last times people could work up the energy to carry an ironic sign with no idea of where to go afterwards. Oh, yeah. Actually, the signage is an important point of that. Like, it's the... It's an ironic the, sign, but, you know, like a, a, a piffy sign. Yeah, it's just... Who are you trying to convince with these signs? Like, are you just... You're, you're decked out head to toe all of the fucking EU kind of mm. face paint. Like, what's... What's this for? To show your support of the EU? You're already on the march. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to criticise people for like the ways no, that they, the ways that they choose to protest. Mm-hmm. Anyway, is fine, but I mean, there has to be some kind of psychic cost. Well, it does feel it to did, this. It does feel a bit like the led by donkeys thing of like printing off a tweet to put a tweet up on a on a billboard mm. to take a photo of said tweet on billboard to post onto twitter mm. it did feel very much like it they're feels... doing it to be seen as the things and i'm not saying that they're like kind of virtue signaling it's just actually i don't think they know any other form of protest because a lot mm. of these people this is the only kind of protest they've been on yeah. none of them would go in there with the intention of causing an actual ruckus mm. i mean i think like the ultimate um the ultimate similarity that I could think of between like post nine eleven patriotism and mm-hmm. re- continuity remain is the fact that there it's been a quite a strong trend to see the consumption of these kind of cultural objects, mm-hmm. the consumption of certain kind of um, like EU signifiers or whatever. Mm-hmm. As political action in itself, mm-hmm. you know, you watch the Dominic Cummings shows and say how good it is. You you know, eat the proper cheese or wine. Oh, that's a, again, that's bourgeois signalling as much as EU yeah. signalling. But, you know, there was this, there was that woman who, who wrote about, I am only eating in Remain restaurants. I am only buying from Remain stores. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Fine, more space for me in Wotherspoons. There is a definite trend towards, and, you know, cultural consumption being what it is, that's mm-hmm. true of a lot of groups. But, yeah, it was particularly... Um, evident whenever Remain comes out to play, mm-hmm. you know? Um, one of those particular cultural consumption indulgence things uh, is there's a new book coming out mm-hmm. called mm-hmm. A Love Letter to Europe. It's like all the Christmas freaks coming out. There's the Led by Donkeys book. Oh, yeah, no, they there's are this. coming out, yeah. They're, they're it's like, out for Christmas. Christmas toilet reads for your Remainer uncle who you hate. <laughs> um, this... Who has dodgy views about the Quran. <laughs> You naming a particular uncle there? Um, Traffic off. Actually, all my uncles are dead. I just oh had to I don't have to think. Oh no, I've got one left. Good. No, I'm just trying to think. And no, he's not racist at all. He's lovely. Oh, no, all right. <laughs> um, yeah, this uh, the love letter to Europe. It's a collection of love letters to Europe from contributors including J.K. Rowling, Neil Gaiman, and Pete Townsend. Townshend. To be published. Pete Townsend. 
Seriously. Give me a second. Seriously, has he got like a little leaflet? <laughs> is he finally releasing the leaflet? <laughs> Why I love going Where's on the... holidays on my own to Europe. Yes. Pete Townsend. It is the uh, guitarist from The Who. <laughs> is, it, is it a pamphlet on why he likes going to kind of hostel type <laughs> holidays on his own to... Um, Research his book? Yeah. This book? No way. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, all right then. All right yeah. then, Pete. Uh, it's going to be published on Brexit deadline day. <laughs> For the fucking people that are going to be fair. J.K. Rowling was friends with um, Epstein as well, wasn't she? Was she? I think she's been was on she the on flight. the list? I think she's been on the list. I think she was on the list. What I'm saying is they're all paedophiles. <laughs> no, they're not all paedophiles. Obviously they're not. They're all they just, allegedly. They just don't have any problem with, with being in the same list as Pete Townsend. <laughs> it's a fine list to be in. <laughs> yeah, this book is going to be published on Brexit Day. And Hugh, there are mm. a couple of uh, pieces published in advance. And I think you have a couple of tasty little morsels. Okay, okay look, J.K. Rowling is a horrible, horrible human being. Um... I will always have a soft spot for her her wizardy books because they helped my daughter read. Mm-hmm. They were what got her into reading. They are the best kind of easy to read, kind of gripping books for a child. No, I think they pretty accurately explain our current political situation. <laughs> Here's why. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that is also why I ha- why I hate it so much because like I watch my child. You would say adore that. You're them. A Hufflepuff or whatever. <laughs> I that watched is. my child adore them, and I also watched her grow out of them in a way that our political class have not. <laughs> but yeah, okay, J.K. Rowling has written a letter. A love letter to Europe. Cue the music. We don't have any love letter music. <laughs> no, we don't. Okay. The letter was written on thin blue paper. The handwriting was neat and rounded. My brand new German pen friend, Hannah, introduced herself in excellent English. Our schools had decided that Hannah and I would be a good fit as pen pals because we were both, because we were both not to not to put a fine point on it, swats. In a matter of months, I'd be going to stay with her Stuttgart-based family for a week, and shortly after that, she'd come and stay on the Welsh border with me. I was thirteen. The whole thing was thrilling. Her house was Lovely. warm and spotless, deliciously different. I remember ornamental candles I and rugs it. on a tiled floor. <laughs> The furniture sleek and well-designed and a shining upright piano in the corner, which Hannah, of course, played very well. On arrival, Hannah's mother asked me what I wanted for breakfast. And when I didn't immediately answer, she began listing all the food stuff she had available. But round about item six or seven, I recognised a German for cake. So I said, cake please. Hannah's mother was a magnificent cook. I particularly remember the clear soup with dumplings and, and the sausage with lentils. And every morning of my visit, presumably because she thought that's what I was used to, she gave me cake for breakfast. It was glorious. You can eat cake for breakfast here if you want. Mm -hmm. I kept in touch with Hannah for years. And when I was 15, the family invited me with incredible generosity to accompany them on a month-long trip to Italy. So it was with Uh Hannah and her her family that I first saw the Mediterranean and first tasted shellfish. Sounds like people, uh, J.K. Rowling, mm-hmm. uh, her political um, opinion on the EU is mm. that she really likes going on holiday. Mm. Oh, no, no, wait. Mm. I came home from Italy, thirsty for more European adventures. <laughs> I got myself a French pen pal called Adele. So she's acquiring foreigners just to go to their houses. With whom, in due course, I went to stay in Brittany. There I watched her mother make crepes, the region's speciality on the Billig, a large circular griddle. I am going to savage a bunch of words. Um, they were the most delicious things I'd ever eaten. 
even including the Italian lobster. When out of sight of adults, I took advantage of the cheapness of French cigarettes and practised my nascent smoking habit, trying really hard to like Chatan, and I almost succeeded. Of course I pronounced Chatan wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the I'm only from. French product you've ever asked for in person. <laughs> yeah. When I turned 16, my best friends and I cooked up the idea of going backpacking in Austria for a couple of weeks. Uh-huh. Looking back, I do slightly wonder what our parents were thinking. Letting us go. Two schoolgirls with a smattering of German heading off on a coach with no fixed plans and no accommodation booked. No passports. Wait, <laughs> no. Actually, she would have had to have a passport at that point because yep. Schengen hadn't come into play. We emerged from the experience unscathed. We successfully read the foreign train timetables, always managed to find accommodation, swam in ice cold mountain lakes under brilliant sunlight and travelled from town to town as the fancy took us, always on the run from Pete Townsend. Who <laughs> <laughs> followed in a small car. A small car, like on the continent. A Fiat. As I grew older, my determination to cross the channel, even if alone or with insufficient funds, grew. If you had an interrail <laughs> ticket, surely one of the best inventions of all time, you could simply catch another Not train. Not an if EU you invention, find... by the way. Mm. You could simply catch another train if you couldn't find a room, or else doze in the station until the next one arrived. I took off alone at 19 to wander around France, a jaunt that abruptly ended with the theft of my wallet. However, I was soon back again because I spent a year in Paris as part of my French degree. My mother, a quiet Francophile with a half-French father, was delighted to visit me there. My father, possibly less so, given my perennially unsuccessful pleas to waiters to understand that BNQ, in his case, meant that there would be no pink at all in the middle of his steak. I was 25 when my mother died. My dad... (laughs) <laughs> the pig ignorant peasant from somewhere outside Shrewsbury or wherever on the Welsh yeah. Welsh borders I was 25 when my mother died at which point I stopped pretending I wanted any kind of office job now I did what came most naturally grabbed the dog-eared manuscript of the children's book I've been waiting writing for a few months and took off across the channel again one day she's going to finish that children's book <laughs> it's about Jeremy Crowblin the evil wizard <laughs> Disorientated with grief, I'd chosen one of the free teaching jobs offered to me almost at random. It was in Portugal, a country I didn't know and where I couldn't speak a word of the language. Has she ever actually lived in the UK? Because she seems to have spent the majority of her life on the continent. She lived in Edinburgh a lot for a while, didn't she? Yeah, but I mean like pre-Harry Potter. Because like, wasn't part of her big story was that she was a single mother on benefits. She was a yeah, working class single mother on benefits living in, living in Like, I don't want to stereotype the working class experience, but from my experience, going into railing, many, yeah. it doesn't involve quite that many foreign trips in that in that vein either. I'm just saying, like, like it's know, going every, to Spain. Everyone's, everyone's life experience is different. Of course, yeah. Um, my working class upbringing did not involve Italian lobster. No. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and not just because Italian food is garbage food. Um, but we're not talking about this again. Okay, fine. Um, teaching English abroad is a perfectly respectable profession, but nobody who has done it can who deny. Who said it wasn't? Yeah, nobody who has done it can deny that it attracts a fair. She's disagreeing already. Can deny it attracts a fair share of misfits and runaways. I was both. Nevertheless, I fell in love with Porto, and I love uh-huh. it still. I was enchanted by Fado, the melancholy folk music that reflects the Portuguese themselves who in my experience had a quietness and gentleness unique among Latin peoples I'd encountered so far. Extremely gentle, especially when enacting EU austerity regimes. (laughs) Until they stopped. Um, Which she probably fucking hates, the current government. Yeah. Um, Currently have a socialist government. Yeah. Um, The city's spectacular bridges, it's... Vertiginous. Vertiginous. Green 
Mm-hmm. It's green riverbanks, steeped with ancient buildings, the old port houses. That's a bigger word than she's using in any of her fucking books. Um, <laughs> steeped with ancient buildings, the old port houses, the wide squares. I was entranced by them all. We all have shining memories of our youth, made poignant because they're freighted, freighted with knowledge of what happened later to companions and what lay ahead for ourselves. Back then we were allowed to roam freely across Europe in a way that shaped and enriched us while benefiting from the longest uninterrupted spell of peace this continent has ever known. Lifelong friendships, love affairs and marriages could never have happened. Several children's, children of my acquaintance, including my own eldest daughter, wouldn't have been born without the frictionless travel the EU gave us. All the time... Right, <laughs> but she didn't experience that. This whole no. thing, she hasn't experienced no, frictionless old. travel. Travel That can't have been... Because Schengen came on, what, 2001? So, yeah. that, that's, not, that's not what she's describing. No, no. At the time of writing, it's uncertain whether the next generation will enjoy it. Um, will enjoy the freedoms we had. Those of us who know exactly how deep a loss that is are experiencing a vicarious sense of bereavement on top of our own dismay. Oh, and the fret and rupture of old ties. I think again of my teenage pen friend Hannah, probably for the first time in years, as I reach for, my, for a quotation by Voltaire. For fuck's sake. Oh. She rarely let me get away with anything, so she'd probably have accused me of choosing a French philosopher in a spirit of pure provo- provocation. Provo- to who? Yeah. Well, oh, she's damn. fucking a guardian. In oh, a book damn. <laughs> it's like, damn, what a fucking rebel. She reached for the words of a French philosopher. <laughs> Jesus. Didn't you know it's been banned? <laughs> well, Hannah was right about many things, but on this she'd be wrong. The truth is that I'm thinking of her now because she was my first friend from continental Europe and because the words of Voltaire that hold so much meaning for me now are these. L'amite et le patrie. Where there is friendship, there is our homeland. And Hannah, I really don't want to lose my homeland. (laughs) (laughs) So you see there, you've got the facets of like, just, just... Holidays, sentimentality, and holidays. Like I've said it, we have talked about it so many times. I've said it so many times. I don't mean it to be like because there is a lot of reasons to stay in the EU. Yeah, there are a lot of reasons. Like the reasons I voted to remain, there are lots of them. But holidays was not one of them, and it seems that for a certain class of person, (laughs) the right to live, bang, eat cake. Go on all the holidays you want, eat your Italian lobster and your German fucking cakes. That's literally it. <laughs> it's the way that you present it. Like, I, I definitely understand that. Like, there are obviously different cultures and like different ways of like consuming. A lot of that stuff is about yeah. consumption and like. I went to Europe and it was so different and better. And it's like, yeah, there's nothing stopping you from having that here. Yeah, like you can do that. I know it's not normal, but you can have. You can eat you, cake and lobster. You can eat cake, eat and, cake lobster. and lobster like all you want. You can afford it. Yeah. <laughs> There's shellfish here. There's no way that she hasn't she hadn't had a cockle before. <laughs> okay, to be fair, I'm bearing cockles like yeah. a vinegary cockle <laughs> and a lobster. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's just holidays. That was a whole list of holidays. Yeah. And also, at the wrong time period. Yeah. Because a lot of them are like that. Like. Um, we would have been like a good age to have been able to have that kind of thing. It would have like, just come in when we were like 16, yeah. 17. Yeah. But, um, and when we were when, when we were able to do that. But, yeah, like, but I don't, I haven't seen any of people literally our age as that thing, apart hmm. from like Femi, who he yeah, just yeah, worked yeah. for the fuck, he just worked in Belgium. Yeah. Uh, Shall I go on to the, the next Yeah, hour? there is another one because this is the one I'm looking forward to. That's Morkish. This is. Downright ludicrous. Okay, this is from. A, he's a he is a bad writer as well. I I 
I haven't read enough of his stuff recently to, to remember whether he's such a bad writer, but he's definitely... I thought he was a bad writer when I was a teenage goth. Okay. So just think how bad he is now reading him as an adult. I've, re- I've tried to read some of his stuff now, and it's just like, fuck off. <laughs> okay, yeah, this is Neil Gaiman. <laughs> okay. Dear Europe, I love feeling part of you. The feeling that we were together... Our differences combining to make something bigger than either of us. <laughs> I had a baby with Europe. <laughs> <laughs> something unique. Something neither of us could have been on our own. We were workmates who became closer than that. Oh, creeping on people at work. Ew! That's yeah. gross! Yeah. I love knowing that even though we were a couple, we were still very much ourselves. You weren't asking me to change the thing. You lived in myself. your house. You refused to let me sleep over. <laughs> you wouldn't let me use your towels. <laughs> You weren't asking me to change the things about myself that I didn't want to. I loved you when they lied about you. I loved the things you gave me. Oh, fuck The peace and the prosperity. The knowledge that in a fight you'd have my back. Okay, okay. You saw me as odd, ill-fitting, awkward in our relationship. That's fucking... But you accepted what made me special. That's fucking... seemed to appreciate it. That's fucking bullshit. Yeah, I really love, like, decades-long project of harmonisation in order to kind of make sense of the wildly diverse products of the EU and make sure they all align to a single regulatory standard. I just love how quirky you made me feel. It's like, <laughs> I'm not even against harmonisation, but that's flagrantly bullshit. Yeah. Also, you always had my back in a fight, just like you had Greece's back. <laughs> they were going through some tough times, but you were always there for our <laughs> spunky little sidekick, Greece, who you visited on the weekends when I was away on business. <laughs> it's also the way it's like... Um... He he turned, took, he's he's turned, taking it way too literally. He's turned Europe well. into a manic pixie dream girl as well that has to fix him because he's a fucker. <laughs> which is kind of telling because he's a fucking hack. Yeah. Um, with you, I could go anywhere. I love the people you brought into my world and loved going the places third, with you. Our third... <laughs> our third Switzerland. <laughs> Norway. We had great times. I didn't feel jealous at all. <laughs> I heard things. Tasted things. Delighted in things I would never have encountered without you. If we had children, they had so many places they would have been at home. So many places that they could have lived. Once, Europe tried choking me. I wasn't really into it, but I did it all the same. For you. I don't know why I'm leaving you, but I know how it goes. I said things I can't take back. I did things I regret. I wish things could be like they were. That's all I want for both of us. That things could be like they used to be. But you'll be fine without me, my love. How I'll be without you, I'm not so sure. Still love, Neil. I think he lives in America. Yeah, I mean, he does a lot of... He's doing a lot of work, like American Gods and all that. And, but, yeah, like... Yeah, I've, the, what, I've, what, I've heard so many fucking stories about how unbearable he is to work with. The, what scenarios is he proposing there? Like, what's, what's the dynamics of this breakup? It's like... So, we're assuming he invited... Uh, uh, Europe started inviting thirds into the relationship... Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was very difficult, you know, uh, poly relationships, very difficult mm-hmm. to, to maintain. There were different rules, I'm saying, with Switzerland and Norway than there were yeah. between the UK, as embodied in the actual physical body and brain of Neil Gaiman, which is a fucking weird Louis Fourteenth way of thinking about this whole thing, but whatever. Yeah. Eventually, he just can't stand it. Who is prizing him away? So, somebody within within his circle, has voted for him to break up <laughs> with Europe. Also, not the EU. Yeah. Or kind of the EU. Yeah. Or All of it, it's, like, it's Europe, it's not the EU. Yeah. It's Europe. Ugh. Oh, what a weird. It's like, 
I, I think we chose these just because these are uh, these are a prime example of why, like, Remain has all of the celebs on on its side, other than maybe I don't know what Bobby Davro, uh, <laughs> I think Jim Davidson as well, obviously. Yeah, you know, the best. Th- those those base. kind of things, but like they've got a superstar roster, tons of money, and they have just failed to gain any of the traction that that they should have. Mm-hmm. Like aside from strategic and political errors, they have this glaring cultural void of just mawkish sentimentality that when weaponized correctly cultural movements mm. to enact political change can be really powerful think of like like rock against racism mm. anti-apartheid struggles they were all galvanized by having a um a, a cultural edge that translated yeah. these political struggles into like emotional mm. moments that that solidified people's support for them and this just has has none of that like and i think like it really it really points it out that that remain leadership or or, or the the cultural remain leadership or however you want to define that lacks this resonant message that just doesn't cut across itself right yeah i'm thinking about this for a couple of days i've been reading this book um by sarah ahmed called like it's got the cultural politics of emotion and it's how like emotions like hatred fear disgust are galvanized and articulated in in political ways Mm. to form political communities and ideologies and things like that and like I think like the main errors the Remain campaign seem to have made with with all of this kind of stuff, both individually and and collectively, they have to make two links in people's minds, right? And they've constantly failed to do so. They've constantly confused the political unit of the EU for Mm -hmm. Europe, Mm -hmm. right? This is especially important when you're talking about like sympathy or enthusiasm, because in order to turn these experiences into concrete political support, you need to articulate these these eating an Italian lobster in terms of that's why I want the European Parliament. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, I loved you when they lied about you. I love the things you gave me. Like, who are you talking about? Are you talking about Europe? Yeah. Because it's called Dear Europe. Or are you talking about the political structure of the EU? Yeah. Like, does Paris cease to exist under Brexit? Can yes. you not have these experiences anymore? You know, do, does the European pen pals, do they... I don't think you understand. Are it they cut off longer, entirely? It'll be a longer queue. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, does it also, if you're articulating these things in terms of these particular cultural products, are these, if I don't drink French wine, Mm -hmm. if I don't particularly care for Porto, Mm -hmm. does this matter to me? Mm -hmm. Is this important to me? Like, there's no universality around it. Like, I I think it does matter whether we leave or frame the EU, but this framing makes it seem trivial. Yeah. It makes it seem like their experiences are the things that you should be valuing out of all this. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't had those experiences, it's kind of an alienating, yeah. repelling yeah, I think feeling. They, yeah, I, I didn't... I, yeah, it makes me feel... I, I, I do not... And I don't, don't travel much, but I travel I travel like more than... I would like people. to travel more. I would yeah. like to have but those experiences I fa- I that find, they talk about. I, I, I travel... I, okay, I've been, I've been to quite a few European countries. Hmm. I found all of that intensely off-putting. Yeah. And embarrassing. Yeah. But it's because it's them, and it's—I mm. mean, it's partially because they're celebs as well. Yeah, because they have that level of wealth. Mug about it. It's their message comes down to: in order to lo- like, you have to love the EU, or you should mm. love the EU, because the EU allows me to love. The EU allows me to have these things. Yeah. I know that's not true. I know that's not what they're explicitly saying, mm. but the subtext is there. Yeah, you know. Um, 
Which, I mean, it obviously leads into the second point, like, of the other thing that, that um, Remain have constantly misapplied. Like, who experiences the EU? Who experiences Europe? And, and as what? How do they take it? Most people experience the EU as this road was funded by the EU. This uh, thing I'm going to um, was done by a charity that yeah. got money from the EU. This play, yeah. this, like, thing, whatever. Um, and these people, like... They're mostly accomplished writers, sure, but the, the 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 things they conjure just aren't universal enough to be able to pull you into a world where the EU is responsible for all this. Mm-hmm. You know, like with you, like Neil Gaiman said, like with you, I could go anywhere. It's like, have you ever tried getting on a bus without any money? Have you ever tried getting on a ferry? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't ha- if I don't have the money to have that experience. I can't have that experience, whether I have the political freedom to do so or not. Yeah. You know, they write about scenarios and experiences that aren't don't just don't resonate. Like going on holiday, every like a lot of people go on holiday. I'm sure, but like integrating that into why leaving the EU it means you're going to leave your lose your job. Mm-hmm. Why, um, why this is going to affect your children's futures, your children's like potential earnings or whatever. That requires a very careful linking of chains of experience and political kind of imagery that this just doesn't doesn't. Thing they're arguing for experience that an experience that they had that isn't automatically available to everyone, even if the UK remains, and they attach all of the positive words. I mean, this is true of Remain generally. They attach a lot of the positivity and the positive words of their campaign to the EU, like it was a rich dowager aunt that Mm. it just funds things with no no strings attached. Yeah. And all of their negatives, all of the the kind of hatred, the fear narratives that they employ, are focused far more directly on, like domestically, mm-hmm. nationally, locally, um, like on the an individual level. You know, like fear of the people of the British that are around them. Mm-hmm. You know that that, and that's exactly the terrain that Leave feeds off. Like they've yeah. made their own metropolitan elite, and they seem to have taken on this idea with a real gusto that really badly benefits leave because there yeah. will always if you want to like say well i guess the remain elite if i'm going to be a metropolitan elite i'm going to act like one yeah and it's like that's exactly the thing that lost this referendum yeah it wasn't tr- i don't think it's true no but you're making it true yeah because you it, it feels some desire in you with these people they're gonna lose again yeah i mean like <sighs> Yeah, I mean, like as you read in the in those love letters, like a lot of what they're concerned seem to be concerned with is their own personal love affairs with mm. with Europe, and it's a bit weird how it is weird how Gaiman's letter identifies himself and his love as the embodiment of his country, as mm. like a wound to him is a wound to the yeah. UK. There are more elegant ways of of expressing that than in the personage of Neil Gaiman, who again doesn't live in the country mm. and is a, a lot fucking wealthier. Than yeah. the majority of people, and yeah, like um, th- this Sir Ahmed book. I've got a little a quote here, um, just that really, really kind of described a lot of stuff about like the the Remain cultural cultural approach. Uh, Narratives around hatred work by generating a subject that is endangered by imagined others, whose proximity threatens not only to take away something away from the subject, jobs, security, wealth, but to take the place of the subject. The presence of this other is imagined as a threat to the object of love. So what, like Neil Gaiman and J.K. Rowling are saying here, that is that you, the Leave voter, this imaginary Leave voter, you are coming between this person 
who is of higher social standing than you and richer, mm. you are coming between them and the object of their love, which is a vague notion of Europe based on their own experiences. Your Brexiter love of country or democracy or whatever bullshit thing mm. Brexiters use to justify it is in the way of my Remainer love, yeah. as defined by my relationship with the friends I made in Europe, the material benefits I get, the good experiences and whatever. So for, if you think about that from the perspective of this Leave voter, whether they're diehard or wavering or whatever, you've got two competing claims to the emotion of love, mm-hmm. to to the, the the attachment, the emotional attachment of your particular political ideology. Mm. And what they're saying is the one with the greater reach and status should win out of those two things. That's a fucking dumb way of trying to bring people with you. And it lacks empathy yeah. with the vast majority of people in this country who are struggling with austerity and a general reduction in living standards. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, so like, Remain is often accused of lacking an emotional component, but I would argue that it has tried to invoke certain feelings um, and they have completely misjudged the balance and tone of the moods that they could have utilised for their particular political project. I mean, I mentioned anti-apartheid. That has a combination of, like, joy and multiculturalism and um, rage, uh, uh, an injustice. Mm -hmm. These are all emotions that are articulated by cultural moments that have a political result. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, one of the popular political emotions could be, you know, hatred. Yeah. Like... Not necessarily as an entirely negative thing, but if you remember Alexander Coburn, um, when he was editor of The um, Nation, used to uh, take interns out for a drink on their first day and ask them the question, is your hatred pure? Mm -hmm. Is your hate pure? I think it was like Ed Miliband or David Miliband came up and said, I don't hate anybody. It's like, oh, we should have known. We should have known. No, um, hate can protect you from the people who are killing or erasing you. It can have a liberator- liberatory dimension. Yeah. Hatred, in a political sense, works by creating a threat, an enemy that continually threatens or injures an object precious to a political faction or a community, but it simultaneously binds the members of that community together in opposition to it. I mean, like the example Sir Ahmed uses is um, white supremacists. You find this weird fake solidarity when they say, oh, I don't hate, I actually just love the white race. Yeah. You know? Um, it's kind of communion conjured up from nothing, purposefully using the object of that hatred as a way of uniting around something that might otherwise not have a very solid basis. Basis. Yeah. In this case, whiteness. In Remain's case, you could say that, well, you do need a certain amount of hatred. You do need a hatred of Aaron Banks. You do need a hatred of Nigel Farage. Yeah. Um, the problem is that the object that they object of hatred that they have cohered around to protect and define themselves in 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 terms of is the EU and the nation of the UK up until 2016 mm. by constituting their movement entirely out of the kind of social and cultural fabric and democratic fabric of the nation up until the referendum they've either by accident or intent constantly identifying themselves with the status quo of that time their object of hatred was anything that attacks that, mm-hmm. which is why they they can have a go at Leavers, but they can have a go at Corbyn yeah. just as readily. I mean, there are short-term political objectives in attacking Corbyn, but the vitriol that gets directed at him by Remainers is is kind of telling me that it's much more of an er- emotional response. They they hate Corbyn more than they hate a lot of other political figures oh, who have betrayed them, yes. who have either betrayed them or work in opposition to their interests, yeah. you know? Um, and because they identify themselves directly with the EU, with this object which is under attack, they're also forced into defending everything the EU does. 
And that further limits their ability to present an honest accounting of Brexit and the reasons why it happened without being able to explain what specifically has changed because they're stuck in this process of defending the status quo, because they're unable to explain potentially what has changed between 2016 and now. Um, they're stuck with the same electorate, the same dynamics that caused the referendum vote, but without any kind of ability to analyse it and work out how to adapt themselves to it, hmm. right? Um, they also lack the rhetorical manoeuvrability to exist and win arguments within it they're still relying on the same battering of leave that they were in 2016. And I mean, you notice how there's a real impulse within the Remain kind of campaign to say how much the electorate has changed, how much old people have died, younger people can vote, things like that. Like they're trying to shift the electorate rather yeah. than shift yeah. their own frame of arguing yeah. and, and their own place within it. Um, and it's weird that most of their hatred, especially lately, seems to be directed at the actual notion of having to deal with Brexit itself, mm. of engagement itself. I mean, we said it last week that they're disgusted with, why do I have to do this? Mm -hmm. Why do I have to come out with this? Um, and people do classify Remain as a middle-class movement, and I think some of this comes from that vibe. Yeah. That having to engage with politics at all is bad, but especially that they have to engage on a level unequal to their own perceived importance and the status Definitely. of the persons involved. Brexit is stupid, and therefore a stupid thing is not something you should have to waste time dealing with. They can't bring themselves to actually get out some useful hatred because they have to constantly belittle it. It's yeah. constantly beneath them. There's so much, even in, to the extent that there's so much more important things than this, they're like, oh no, this is just stupid and a waste of time. It's like, you actually have to go through this work and, and, mm. and deal with Brexit, you know? So yeah, as for retaining enthusiasm among their own supporters, um, remains thought leaders and leaders have just got it also seem to have it all wrong they're set it their particular attitude to to utilizing these these cultural facets and, and these emotional moments are at odds with their essential objective of having to go through persuading people to back remain mm -hmm. so they overemphasize the mess and the chaos around the brexit process they haven't inspired like fear of brexit which again would be a utilizable emotion that they could use for a political purpose they've inspired anxiety yeah. because it's a generalized chaotic feeling rather than a direct fear of something that's coming down the way which is like no deal brexit yeah. remain leadership have essentially left their own supporters and undecideds with two options so one People are smart enough to realise revoking doesn't banish Brexit for good, so that if they revoke Article 50, we have to go back through the process of the last three years, it would have to happen, we would have to walk back everything that has happened over the last three years, painfully, slowly, and with risk of civil strife. So ultimately, what they're saying is, if you take our solution to the bad situation on our terms, it will extend the period of the bad thing, of the bad situation more generalised mess and chaos, which is the thing they want to, to avoid. Yeah. And secondly, the second option is, if they could, the second option implicitly that they offer that is take the Tory solution, get Brexit done, rip the band-aid off, and then it ends. It's mm. not a, a cathartic solution. It's not a growing experience. It's a nullification of Brexit as a problem. That's more desirable if you're just presenting those two options yeah. rather than having a, a softer Brexit. By presenting Brexit as a problem and not more, a small problem and not being able to garner any of the kind of emotional or cultural impact against it, 
they've helped write Leave's strategy for them. They've offered yeah. no other options. They haven't offered mm. um, any outlets for any emotion that they've been able to, to build up. They've deterred them from softening Brexit. And coming back round to the depression around the Remain march, if you're a Remainer, these were the op- options that were promoted in your name. If they fail, you're left with no other place to retreat to emotionally, hence the kind of depressive... Um, anxious feeling mm-hmm. out of a lot of this your hatred is dissolved through a lack of collective targets your fear has dissolved just into mere anxiety you feel just strongly enough to be depressed but not strongly enough to find any outlet for it and that's been the real failure of the remain campaign uh, okay that's us for this week you can subscribe to us on itunes follow us at wdtatw underscore podcast follow me at bm bergamo and hugh at tanner smashing and we'll see you next week bye bye about the fighting game when Mr. Hoover said to